Good afternoon and welcome again. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming back. I know that there are probably any number of things you could be doing this afternoon, but we appreciate you coming back and hope and pray that this hour will be a blessing to you. I do want to say to remember Jared and the young folks in your prayers as they travel this week or as they are engaging in some missionary work. We hope and pray that all goes well with them. Brother Raymond said that they were having trouble with the air conditioner in the bus. And so uh, I think I'd pass. But nonetheless, we hope and pray that they can get that going effectively. We are looking in our lesson this afternoon at Psalm 119 in verse 97. Many, many years ago, the psalmist said, in connection with the passage read a moment ago in Psalm 1, the psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. In Psalm 1, the psalmist describes the blessed or the happy man. He said, The blessed man, the blessed individual, is the one who delights in the law of Jehovah, and in that law he meditates day and night. What I want to talk about this afternoon has to do with learning to meditate on Scripture. Typically in society today, we hear people talking about meditating. And sometimes they will use it in connection with yoga. And the idea is that in a very quiet and relaxing atmosphere, you meditate and you reflect. The word meditate in our, in our passage, or in Psalm 1 and Psalm 119, is not necessarily what we might call quiet reflection. But the word itself means to ponder aloud, to muse, to contemplate. And sometimes it might be the case that as we are studying and meditating on the Scriptures, that we are debating these things in our mind and sometimes maybe even verbally to ourselves. And I think that's the import of the passage. So what I want to do is talk for a moment or two about learning to meditate on Scripture. I want to give you three key points and then make some application. In order to learn to meditate, number one, it requires dedication. And we said earlier in a study today, the quest of every believer ought to be to grow in grace and knowledge, to fill our mind, to fill our heart with the Word of God. As Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You remember in Psalm 119, 11, the psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It's my, or rather he said, Oh, how I love your law. And how he internalized that law that it might not sin against Jehovah God. In Psalm 119.18, the psalmist made this statement, Open my eyes to the wondrous things of your law. So what we want to do is to step back and appreciate the importance of God's Word and dedicate ourselves to, to coming to a better understanding of Scripture. Now, it's going to take dedication on our part to do that. The question might be asked, how much do you desire to learn more about God's Word? The sky's the limit. So what we want to encourage is to 
spend time regularly engaging in a study of the Word of God. Now again, Peter said we're to grow in grace and knowledge. If you're going to grow in grace and knowledge, you're going to have to commit to studying and meditating on the truth of Almighty God. So number one, it's going to require dedication. Number two, it will require what I call investigation. You remember in Acts chapter 8, when Philip encountered the eunuch, he asked a question in chapter 8, verse 30 of the book of Acts. He asked that eunuch in the long ago, do you understand what you're reading? Over the last three months, we have been involved in daily Bible reading. We began studying or reading on a daily basis from the book of Matthew. From Matthew, we went to the book of Acts, and now we're reading daily in the book of Genesis. I think reading the Scriptures is very important. And one of the byproducts of that is it helps us to learn where things are. It opens our eyes to some of the great truths of God's Word. And there's nothing wrong with that. But over the course of the last two and a half months, as you have made your way through the book of Matthew and then the book of Acts, have you come to places along the way and simply asked the question or said to yourself, what's that mean? Now again, I'm not against daily Bible reading. I think it's very important. I do it every day. And I have a process, a system that I go through every day, year after year. And you can learn from reading. Isaiah said, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. A lot of great, important things we need to read. But you will never know God's Word like you need to if you do not dig beneath the surface of what you read, you'll never understand the Word of God. When you're reading the book of Matthew and you come to something you don't understand, what you need to do, what I need to do, what we all need to do is just stop, pause, and then begin to investigate. Okay? What's the writer saying here? What was he saying to his original audience? What's he saying to me? These are some things that we have to ask and we have to probe the Scriptures, don't we? Investigate. Do our homework. Do our research. It's important for us to recognize that there's what's called surface reading, shallow reading, and then there is investigative reading. Rather than spending the month reading the book of Matthew, and I think that's great, but if you're reading along the way and you don't understand something, rather than just plowing through, stop. Spend some time and try to understand what the writer's saying. Now again, it's going to help you to acquaint yourself with the Bible by reading. But you're not going to know the Word of God like you need to know unless, number one, you dedicate yourself to studying the Bible, and number two, unless you investigate the Word of God. And so what Philip asked many years ago, 
Do you understand what you're reading? That was a fair question, a good question. I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we expect the preacher or Bible class teacher to spoon-feed us. And the knowledge we possess comes from the pulpit or the classroom. Now again, my responsibility is to preach and teach, to provide substance. The elder's responsibility is to feed the church. And that's done by way of the pulpit and the classroom. But you're leaving a lot of information on the table if you don't leave here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night and go home and dig deeper into the Word of God. And that's the key. The problem in churches of Christ today is we just don't know the Bible like we used to. That's a fact. There's a day and time when people in the pew, they knew the Word of God and they could quote it. And today, we can scarcely find it in the Scriptures. Well, why is that? Because we failed to investigate, to research. Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 5, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testified me. The Bereans were commended for their nobility. Why? Because they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind, and the Bible says they searched the Scriptures to see whether those things were so. So I want to encourage you to investigate. Get you a notebook, a pen, and sit down, and as you study the Word of God, make notes. I've got notebooks full of notes. I keep them. And you can go back and you can add, you can modify or alter those notes. But the key is to investigate. So number one, it requires dedication. Number two, it requires investigation. And then thirdly, it requires a summation. Now Paul asked the question in Romans chapter 4, verse 2, what does the Scripture say? Now I want you to just pause here for a moment. We're reading the book of Genesis right now, aren't we? So number one, do you understand what you're reading so far? Number two, what does the Scripture have to say? In other words, what's the application for my life? What are the truths that I can conclude from a study of the book of Genesis thus far? What are some conclusions that I can reach? Well, I go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Immediately, I'm impressed with a divine fact. And that is, Moses introduces us to the Creator, doesn't he? And so in Genesis chapter 1, we have in the very first chapter of the Bible, the origin of the universe and man. And not just that, but also we're introduced to the Godhead. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God hovered. Down in verse 26, let us, plural, make man in our image and in our likeness. The Old Testament, there are references to the Godhead over and over again. In the New Testament, however, we have more information about the Godhead. 
You remember Paul in Romans chapter 1 talked about the unbelieving state of the Gentile world. And he said, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And the idea is they have the opportunity to know something about God by what? By creation. So you have creation and then revelation. The book of Genesis is a revelation of God's creation. It is a revelation of His redemptive plan. So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we read something about the nature of man. The fact that God did not make us as robots, but rather He gave each and every one of us the ability to make choices in life. As we noted last week in our study, with choices comes responsibility and accountability. So when God told the first couple they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He said the day you eat thereof, you're going to surely die. They had to make a choice, didn't they? So we come to chapter 3 in the book of Genesis, and who do we read about there? The serpent. Well, where did the serpent come from? Who is the serpent? He is the great antagonist of mankind. Now, a lot of questions can be raised from reading Genesis chapter 3. Where did the serpent come from? More importantly, where did the devil come from? You know, John said in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 that he who sins is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. The devil is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent or ever-present. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. The devil has a limited amount of power. The power that the devil or the serpent has is governed by the permissive will of Almighty God. Well, how am I going to know that unless I investigate this book? So when we talk about the devil and his power and his prowess and all the things that he's about, we've got to do some research and to understand that, as Peter said, the devil's still walking about as a roaring lion. His goal is to disrupt and dismantle our faith. Well, again, where did he come from? You remember Jesus in Luke chapter 10? He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, that those who serve as elders are not to be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, they fall into the condemnation of the devil. So I would assume that the devil, number one, is a created being. How do I know that? Because Paul said, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And by Him were all things created, visible and invisible. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we read about those angels that sinned, that God cast down to a place called Tataris, the abode of the unrighteous. And they have been delivered into chains of darkness reserved for the judgment. So, Apparently, Satan is a fallen angel created by God. And God 
permits him a certain amount of power. Again, that power falls under his permissive will. But he does not manifest the earmarks of deity. So the devil sinned and was cast out of heaven. Again, I mentioned just a moment ago, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, being lifted up with pride. You can go back and read Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. The writers there talk about, in Isaiah, the prophet there talks about the king of Babylon and his eventual fall. Ezekiel talks about the king of Tyre and his fall. I had a professor in college that believed that that was a personification of the fall of Satan. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But the point is, you won't know that unless you do your homework. You've got to invest in time, in study. And so in Genesis chapter 3, you're introduced, we're introduced to the serpent. And then we talked about pain and suffering. Where did all that begin? The Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, we read about the flood, that universal, catastrophic condition that man faced. You know what that tells us? It ought to say to us, sin is destructive. It really says something to us about the insidious work of the devil and the destructiveness of sin. And look at man in the garden, had every need met, and yet through one single choice, turned the world that we know into a place of heartache and suffering. So there are lots of things that we need to explore and study. We can read those truths, and we can read over those truths, but the question is, do we really understand the full import or implications of what's recorded? You can't do that with just a casual reading of the Word of God. It won't happen that way. Now in Genesis chapter 3, there's something, something else that stands out. It says something to us about God's divine concern for His creation. You remember David in Psalm 8 when he said, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man. Now just pause there for a moment. God created the universe. And David is saying, When I look at your universe and I contemplate the magnitude of your universe, I'm left pondering the question, what is man or the son of man that you're mindful of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. It says something to us about God's concern for his creation, doesn't it? So in Genesis chapter 3, when you read Genesis 3.15, we have the introduction of the promised seed. That unveiling of God's redemptive plan was in seed form in Genesis 3.15, amplified over time through the writings of God's inspired men. 
But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you have this struggle between good and evil. And there, the gospel is really being presented in nugget form. You turn over to chapter 12, and who do you read about but a fellow by the name of Abraham. And you remember in the Galatian letter, when Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, he talked about God's eternal plan that the Scriptures foresaw that God would justify all nations by faith. And then he said, he preached the gospel to Abraham. Well, how did he do that? He quotes Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. That is, in the seed of Abraham, all nations would be blessed. So when I read the story about Abraham, it's, not, it's a story, yes. But the importance of that story, the link between the promised seed of Genesis chapter 3 and the coming of the Christ and the fruition of that redemptive plan in Christ and in the church of Christ. It's a beautiful thought. These are things that ought to whet our appetite. Ought to cause us to step back and reflect upon, ponder, if you please, the greatness of Almighty God. Now you just think about a God who created the world and then created man, male and female. This same Creator housed within us the ability to make choices. In His recognition that man, given the opportunity to make choices, would at some point in time exercise the wrong choice and need a Savior. Didn't John say in Revelation chapter 13 that Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world? And didn't Paul say that God chose us in Him, listen to him, before the foundation of the world? How are you going to put all that together unless you do some deep, serious, investigative study of the Bible? You'll never get it all from the pulpit of the classroom. It has to go beyond 30 minutes from the pulpit, 45 minutes in the classroom. So we've got to, desi we've got to decide whether or not we want to know the Word of God. And we've got to be able to put all the pieces together. I mean, you think about, think about it like this. The Old Testament and the New Testament really go hand in glove, don't they? They fit perfectly together. And so the Old Testament is pointing people in the direction of the coming of the Christ and God's redemptive plan. The New Testament is simply an affirmation that that plan that had been foreordained before the world began, has now been brought to fruition. And so, again, it requires us to have dedication. We've got, again, we've got to be dedicated to learning and growing. We've got to investigate, and then we've got to bring our study to some conclusions. And simply ask, okay, what did I learn from all this? What have you learned? Now just go back for a moment or two in closing. 
the book of Matthew, the 28 chapters that you read, were there things that you didn't understand? You have questions about? Go back and start studying those questions. Same thing's true with the book of Acts. The only way that you're going to know more about the Word of God is to spend more time with the Word of God. What was it? The psalmist said he meditated in the law of Jehovah and he did it day and night. Put a lot of time into it. If you were to go to your physician this week, wouldn't you want to make sure that he or she were competent? I do not want to visit an incompetent physician. We want to be competent in the Scriptures. We want to have the ability to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And we will never be able to do that until we spend time in this book right here. It's called the Bible. The song that we, the song that we see, sing, Give Me the Bible. Well, the Bible, the Bible is our roadmap to heaven. So I want to encourage you to begin reading, studying, meditating on the truth of Almighty God. You'll be amazed at how much you'll learn if you spend time daily with God's Word. I promise you that. I don't think God ever intended for us to remain as a novice in the faith. I wonder how many people in the church, people that have been members of the body of Christ 20, 30, 40 years, how many people in the church, after having been a member all those years, when it's all said and done, are still a novice? Do you think the Lord's pleased with that? you think he would be pleased if after 20, 30, 40 years we said, you know, we really don't know the fundamentals of, of the faith? We haven't really spent time in the Word of God? It's going to cost you your life, a life of study. But I can tell you this, it'll bring some rich rewards. Jesus said in the long ago, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. There was an old saying in the country years ago. The old timers would often say, bring your bucket and we'll fill it up. Well, we all have a bucket and we want to fill it up with God's Word. Fill it up, take it home, and use it. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that we might come to a clear understanding of your word, that we might have the ability to rightly divide your truth, that we might make the appropriate application so that we might live and serve you faithfully. Father, we thank you for what your word means to us, and we thank you for your redemptive plan and the blessings that we enjoy through that plan. We ask your continued blessings upon us. We pray that one day we might be together in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this afternoon, you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is who He claimed to be. That's the Son of God. 
And there are a lot of people in our world today, they've yet to reach the conclusion that Jesus was who He claimed to be. It's all revealed right here. As Peter said in the long ago, we've come to believe and to know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that? Would you act upon it by repenting of your sins, confessing His name, and then being immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. Then we are to be faithful to God until death, the promise being the crown of life, James 1, 12. If you're here this afternoon, maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, we would be more than happy, we'd be honored to pray with you and for you, whatever your need might be. Spiritual, you might have some problem in your life that is physical in nature. Maybe you're dealing with, with some emotional strain, whatever that need might be. It's our privilege to pray with you and for you. Power in prayer. So we encourage you, come as we stand and sing.